Good evening, Greens and allies, and welcome to A Green Way Forward, where we talk about peace, social justice, grassroots democracy, and eco-socialism, all from a Green Party perspective. My name is Michael O'Neill. Usually I'm joined by my co-host, David Cobb, but David is not with us this evening because he's traveling. And I'm so sad that David's not with us because it's a very special day. That's right, it's tax day. Happy tax day to you. Happy tax day to you. Happy tax day, military industrial complex. Happy tax day to you, because you get all of our money. That's right, it's tax day. I hope you got your filing in. And if you didn't get your filing in, uh, don't despair. You uh, can work with the IRS. They're actually really reasonable people as long as they don't think you're trying to screw them over. As long as they're pretty confident that you're trying to work with them, it's just that maybe you're really bad with money, they'll work with you. They'll set up an installment plan. It won't be fun, but... As someone who's been through the process, it's not too brutal. Uh, every actual like human being I've ever spoken to at the IRS has been super professional, super knowledgeable, and and like as accommodating as they can possibly be. Again, as long as they're not getting the sense that you're actually trying to avoid paying your taxes. So, um, so it's tax day, and uh, the. Uh, the military industrial complex uh, gets a lot of our tax money. And that's where my thoughts always go to uh, around tax day. And actually, today on A Green Way Forward, we're going to be talking about how we both collect and spend our taxes in the United States are supremely unjust and stupid. And before we get to that, though, I just want to thank everyone for tuning in. I want to thank everyone for sharing this broadcast, and I want to thank everyone for visiting agreenwayforward.org, where you can see the podcast archives of our live streams, and where you can sign up for our e-newsletter so that you don't miss announcements of special guests and other developments regarding the show. So let's just take a look at who is, uh, who's watching right now. We've got Robert in Chicago. And uh, we've got uh, Lou saying greetings from Detroit. Uh, Karina saying uh, greetings from San Diego. Thank you all for tuning in and uh, thank you for sharing. So let's get to it. Uh, so it's tax day and my education about where our taxes go is indebted to the War Resisters League. They are the gold uh, standard for uh, how... They're the gold standard for outlining how so much of our tax dollars goes towards the military industrial complex, goes towards imperialism, goes towards the war machine. And they come out with an annual flyer that they encourage people to hand out around tax day. And see, here's the thing. I don't want to sound like I'm against taxes. Okay, I'm an eco-socialist who wants a Green New Deal. I want a World War II scale mobilization to get us to 100% green energy, 100% fossil free by 2030. So I'm all for paying my fair share. And I'm certainly in favor of the rich and the corporations paying their fair share, which they have not done for a very long time, if ever. 
But uh, we got to make sure that our tax dollars, the, the you know the, the product of of our society, is being put towards saving the planet, not the further demolition of the planet. And so that's why tax day is an important issue for greens and eco socialists and allies to talk about because. If we don't talk about it, then it's just going to be the Grover Norquists of the world and the right wingers who just say, oh, well, all taxes are bad. And, uh, you know, you deserve a tax cut, Joe and Jane America. You should have to pay so much taxes. Well, actually, yeah, maybe a, a, a lot of people could uh, get a tax cut. And, and campaigns that I have worked on in New York State would involve a tax cut for the majority of residents in the state where I work and live and campaign in, which is New York. But there would still be more tax dollars in aggregate coming in because we would be making the very wealthy and the corporations pay their fair share. So that's on the payment side of it. Let's look at the spending side. So uh, the flyer that the War Resisters League has been coming out with annually for as, you know, what, at least a decade is this flyer that talks about where your income tax money really goes. And the, uh, the pink part of it, is ironic because Code Pink is one of our most visible movement organizations against war. Uh, but on this particular flyer, which is produced by the War Resisters League, uh, the pink part represents the uh, tax expenditures on the military. And there, and so we can see that it's uh, almost $1.7 trillion of federal discretionary spending goes towards the war machine. And about uh, 26% of the total federal discretionary spending on war goes towards the current military. And then about 22% goes into past military expenditures. Now, what does that mean uh, when they say we're paying for past military actions or expenditures? Well, there are uh, what they mean by that is they're saying that we have spent we spend $760 billion or will for the 2020 year spend $760 billion on veterans benefits and on interest on the national debt, which is $544 billion. 80% is estimated to be created by military spending. So let's break those two things down. Spending money on veterans benefits. I absolutely want to spend money on veterans benefits. The soldiers who serve in the wars are not the people who decided to go to war. So absolutely, people who have been through the hell of war uh, need their uh, benefits, need uh, top flight medical care, and anyone who has served in the, ma- the military needs to be paid out the benefits that they were promised. So I got no quarrel with that. The only caveat would be my preference would be that we not send people to pointless wars or wars of aggression or wars for profit in the first place so that they're not traumatized bodily and psychically in the first place. Uh, But since we have done that, since we have uh, put people in harm's way and people have been harmed or maimed uh, or killed in the name of oil and profit and empire, then we have to care for the human beings who have been put through that and their loved ones uh, who uh, are caring for uh, folks who have been uh, disabled by war or that they lost their loved one to war. And so that's the one aspect. But then 
the, the real killer here in terms of past military spending is servicing the debt, paying interest on debt, which is created by military spending. So not only is the oligarchy making money when we buy the weapons and when we spend money on empire, but they actually collect money on the other end because in many cases, the financing for war and empire is coming through loans and loans have interest. And so our tax dollars are paying interest on top of the actual expenses to prosecute war and empire around the globe, which is insult to injury. And and in this case, literal injury on a global scale. So that breaks down the 48% of our discretionary federal budget, almost $1.7 trillion dollars that goes into the military. So 908 billion on the current military apparatus, which includes military personnel, operations and maintenance, procurement. Procurement is their sanitized way of saying buying war toys. Mm, that's right. That sweet F-35 joint strike fighter that Bernie Sanders lobbied to be headquarters in Vermont. Just saying it happened. And uh, all, all those, you know, weapons and robots and drones. Oh, yeah, drones. Let's let's spend some more money on drones. Uh, all those sweet war toys, they they phrase as procurement, which it sounds like more sanitary that way, but also sounds kind of dirty, too. And uh, research and development, right? That's how you get your new war toys. So you got to make sure you spend money on your research and development. That's $100 billion right there. Construction, family housing, supplemental and adjustments. Um, then there's non-Department of Defense military spending. So, oh, like uh, nuclear weapons uh, cleanup. So, you know, we, we make lots of messes and sometimes we even pay to clean them up. So we're, we spend money to, to make messes and to create pollution and, and destruction and we have to pay to clean it up too. Uh, the FBI military. So you got oh, Homeland Security, right? ICE. Got to you know pay for those uh, those ICE agents to uh, be you know harassing folks on Greyhound buses when they're within 100 miles of the border. So we got to have plenty of money for that. NASA is included in here. Uh, look, as uh, someone who is hoping that we one day become a star-faring uh, civilization, I'm all for space exploration. Uh, the linkage between space exploration and the military in our country's history is unfortunate. And, uh, and you know, the, the same ballistics technology that can put a rocket into orbit is, is, can be applicable to launching an intercontinental ballistic missile. And we have to grapple with that. And so uh, while I'm all for spending money on space exploration, we have to make sure that space exploration is not uh, being a kind of junior partner to the military industrial complex. And then what are the non-military things that we spend money on? Well, 4% of our budget goes into physical resources. And I'm just going to check to make sure that you can see what I'm seeing. Okay, great. That looks good so far. Right. So 4% on physical resources, that's agriculture, the interior, transportation, housing and urban development. Like this is the good stuff, right? Uh, environmental protection, like all the good stuff is squeezed into that little 4% chunk of the pie. Um, it, it's not all the good stuff, but the things that I get most excited about when I think about what 
what we can create with our government apparatus. That, that's all the Green New Deal stuff. And 42% is on human resources, so Health and Human Services, uh, Social Security Administration. That's all good stuff. Uh, food and nutrition programs, absolutely. We need to dedicate an episode of A Green Way Forward to the Food and Farm Bill and how the Food and Farm Bill is one of the most overlooked pieces of legislation every year by the left. Because the Food and Farm Bill is what sets our budget for things like SNAP and WIC, the different food subsidy programs for uh, working people and for other folks who need food assistance. And it's also where we could set policy to for, for the food aspect of a Green New Deal in terms of making sure that we are subsidizing uh, vegetables and, and healthy foods and, and uh, organic production and transitioning away from uh, uh, carbon-intensive farming practices and pesticides and and stop subsidizing all of the corn and all of the um, incentives for further and further uh, processing of food and these the subsidization of factory farming practices and agricultural conglomeration. Like almost everything else, we're doing food completely backwards in our country. And some of that, a big chunk of that has to do with how we finance and subsidize food production and consumption. So a green way forward is going to tackle the food and farm bill. And I have some people in mind about who can help us with that. And then we've got 6% of the budget on the general government. So you've got uh, the Justice Department, State Department. Um, So you've got Homeland Security in there, too. Uh, the judicial branch, the legislative branch. So that's kind of the politicians and, and the different apparatuses. Let's take a look at the comments and see what we've got so far. Lou writes in to say, we're having a new nuclear weapons race, which is true. And that's one of the things that drives me crazy about the uh, what I see as the uh, conspiracy uh, theory or conspiracy fantasy around uh, Russia's supposed involvement in the 2016 elections, or I should say Russia's effect on the 2016 elections. I don't doubt that the Russian government tried to interfere with the 2016 elections. They probably try to interfere with lots of elections. Uh, the United States tries to interfere with lots of elections. And I think the United States has a, a much more heinous track record in terms of interfering with elections, including elections in Russia in recent memory, or at least living memory. But uh, anyway, the uh, aside from Russiagate distracting from what we need to be really be talking about in terms of the Trump administration's crimes and how to oppose the Trump administration, Russiagate has been uh, stoking a new Cold War against Russia and uh, among Democrats, among people who identify as progressives. They've become the new Russia hawks. And it's crazy because we should be seeking peace throughout the world, and especially with other uh, major players in the world, and especially with uh, with nuclear powers. We should not be uh, inching further and further towards nuclear midnight. What else do we have here? Um, John says, yes, small-scale organic vegetable farming is the way forward. Uh, yes, yeah, so can we have um, small-scale uh, organic farming, at the very least sustainable farming, that so small scale in one sense in that we're not uh, relying on the, like huge monoculture conglomerated factory farms, 
But on the other hand, like it needs to be big enough scale in aggregate that everyone is getting the food that they need. Uh, and, and that addresses a concern that uh, Michael A. wrote in saying, are you worried about reducing the food supply? I believe that the um, that our food needs could be met through sustainable uh, farming that is not as reliant on uh, on monocultures and and pesticides, the pesticide treadmill. There are other ways that have been explored, and, and that would be a good thing to bring on uh, the show in the future as people who are a lot more knowledgeable than I of of people who have pioneered ways to farm at scale without the uh, super carbon intensive and chemical intensive processes that are popular in the United States now. And again, they're not popular or common because this is just objectively the best way to produce food. They're popular and common because they're the most profitable way to produce food for a select number of corporations. And they've gotten the government to subsidize and support their profit-making scheme. And that's regulatory capture, and that's something that uh, is a problem throughout our society. All right, so the War Resisters League makes a point that some folks will say, oh, this you know, 48% uh, is not an accurate representation of federal spending uh, on on the war budget, it's actually much closer to this uh, other graph that they show in the uh, lower right-hand corner of the page. And what that graph is representing is is there's a couple things. There's one thing they're leaving out, and then there's one thing that they're including in the graph that is misrepresenting. So they're saying this uh, pink section of the graph that represents military spending. And so it's actually closer to a quarter of annual spending, not almost half of annual spending. And here's how they cook those numbers. One, they include trust fund federal expenditures like Social Security. And and the War Resisters League say, well, that's not really fair to include that in an assessment of the budget because those trust fund expenditures have have they get their own separate revenue streams and that's not part of discretionary spending. And if you look at your taxes, you might notice that your social security uh, tax is different than your income tax. And if you're a freelancer, you know this very well because you pay out through the nose for social security and FICA and things like that uh, because you don't have an employer who is taking on half of that uh, that tax burden. So the War Resisters League asserts that it's not useful or accurate to include Social Security and other uh, dedicated spending in an assessment of how much we spend in a discretionary sense on war. And then the thing that is left out of this uh, graph, which makes our war spending seem smaller than it really is, is that it doesn't take into account that past military spending, or or I should say current spending on military actions taken in the past. So it's not taking into account veterans' benefits, which, again, I believe we absolutely need to be paying and we need to be devoting more uh, resources and treatment uh, for veterans. But at the same time, 
uh, we have to take into that account, like we have to take into account the cost of war, but the cost of war doesn't just disappear when we pull the troops out. Uh, there are people who uh, will require care and, uh, and services throughout the rest of their lives. And then the other aspect is that debt servicing that we're paying interest on top of the expenses that we have paid uh, in the past. And boy, that's where the wealthy people really make their money. I mean, sure, they make money on the procurement, on the actual, you know, the, the buying of weapons and things like that. But that that interest on debt, that's the long money. All right. So um, before we transition to the next topic, which is uh, some of the dumb ways that we actually collect taxes, um, I just want to check the chat again. We've got Katie who asks, why don't the politicians that are supposed to represent the people neglect our voice? Or why do politicians that are supposed to represent the people, why do they neglect our voice? Well, because they are working for rich people and corporations. And they, they rely on two things to get elected in our current system, which is a winner-take-all vote and a privatized uh, financing of campaigns. They need two things to get elected. They need votes, at least within our current democracy-ish situation. They do need your vote. But they need campaign contributions in order to finance their campaign apparatus to put out the marketing and campaign apparatus to get your vote. And so that means while in the end they need you to vote for them on election day, in order to get you to vote for them on election day, they need the donor class's approval. They need the approval of the donor class to finance their campaigns so that they can buy all of that uh, television ads and and uh, YouTube ads and uh, pay for all other kinds of marketing so that they can get that name recognition, so that they can prove that they're credible to the corporate press, so that they can get into the debates. And then, of course, uh, by keeping it a winner-take-all system that silences so many voters and makes many voters believe that it's not even worth paying attention, then they, they have their way. And that's why the left needs electoral independence it's why we need uh, political independence for the left in the form of the Green Party. And uh, there are other electoral efforts that are seeking political independence from the Democrats. Uh, I believe that the Green Party is the most advanced form of that in this country in terms of our history and our candidates and our capacities. And so that's why I'm a Green. So let's talk about how we actually collect taxes and how even that is subject to the wishes of the oligarchy. So many of you um, might have used some paid-for tax software this year in order to actually put together your tax returns. And some of you might have seen this in the news. ProPublica has reported on this, and other folks have reported on it in the past too. I am drawing from a ProPublica article ProPublica.org. Congress is about to ban the government from offering free online tax filing. Thank TurboTax. So there's a couple things here. Um, online tax filing is great. Uh, at least it is for me. 
uh, is for a lot of folks, I think, who find that working with a software program that automatically does the math for you and and lays out your deductions and things like that in an orderly way is more user-friendly than just going through uh, it on paper. I understand that may not be a universal preference, but there's also some cost savings there as well in terms of being able to submit your uh, tax return online, in terms of being able to pay for your tax return online. You're not having to put all that through the mail. You're not uh, having to get a booklet of forms from the IRS or from the post office. You're not, you don't have to worry about not having the correct form for whatever aspect of your taxes that you're working on. So online tax filing, I believe, is a good thing. But then we wonder, well, like, why do we use something like TurboTax or H&R Block? Like, why, why are we paying corporations to provide us with software for a, a governmental tax return process that we are legally obligated to go through? That's crazy. Well, it's, it's, it would be crazy anywhere else, but in America, that's just another aspect of, of how screwed up we are. It's like private health insurance and winner take all elections. Uh, it's just a thing that, well, and rampant gun ownership. It's just one of those things that we do in America. And, uh, you can thank the Democrats and Republicans as the two parties that have administered over this system for so long. So there have been attempts at free filing services over the years. And I've made use of them in the past. They are difficult to track down. Uh, different uh, providers would offer free filing only if you were below a certain income level. And it was different income levels depending on the provider that you were working with. Some providers had free filing for state taxes for only some states and not others. But you had to, you know, you had to pay if you wanted to file your taxes in a particular state. So it reminds me of Obamacare. Like we should just have a Medicare for all system, a single payer system, everybody in, nobody out, right? You uh, pay into it through your your uh, your taxes, and then you go and you get health care, and it's taken care of, right? Instead, we had Obamacare, where like you have to go on an exchange, and the exchange is unique to your state that you're living in, and the exchange offers different plans, like gold, silver, and bronze, and blah 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 blah, and uh, depending on your income, you get an advanced credit. But uh, if your income changes during the year, you might have to pay money at the end because you made more money than you thought you would, and so the advanced tax credit that you got that helped you pay for your health insurance over the year was too much for your income at the end of the year. So now you got to pay. It's crazy. It's crazy. Why do we do it this way? Well, neoliberalism is why we do it this way. We are constantly uh, seeking privatized solutions to privatized non-solutions, if we're being honest, to things which should be a public resources. It should be a public good. And so we've had this free filing alliance for these years and they provided a free filing service, but then that program was expiring. And, and now there's this new uh, tax bill, or, or uh, I should say it's a tax, what's it, what's it called? The, the Taxpayer First Act, another Orwellian uh, title for legislation, which was supposed to have some reforms in it. And it does have some reforms in it, like uh, not allowing private, ta- uh, private debt collectors to collect on uh, on uh, tax arrears, uh, and that, that's a good thing. Um, but it has in it this poison pill, which 
People like Mandy Matlock, a tax attorney who works at the National Consumer Law Center, says that this bill would basically bar the IRS from ever creating their own software that they could just release to the public and say, here, just do your taxes with this. And and for like the vast majority of people who are going to take the standard deduction and have a single employer, this would be the easiest, most effective way for them to do their taxes. And while there will be some people for whom their taxes are too complicated for this, uh, they there will still be a great benefit for having the vast majority of people to go through this simplified free process. And so there was a lot of outrage following this ProPublica story. And so it's gotten some new scrutiny, which is a good thing. And so now some of the uh, House Democrats are, are saying that, no, this won't bar the IRS from ever creating their own tax software. And, but then, but still you have outside uh, experts and watchdogs who are saying, no, actually it really will. And so let's not do that. Um, Jeremy Bearer Friend, a tax expert at the NYU School of Law, said the provision in the Taxpayer First Act, quote, is designed to limit IRS discretion. The whole point is to force the IRS to stay in free file. Now, when they talk about free file, they're talking about the free file alliance, which is this um, it's it's that overly complicated system that I was talking about before, where you are given an option or a set of options to file your taxes online. But they are it's provided by private service providers, by private companies. And they got different strings attached and the whole thing is more complicated than it needs to be. And they're accused of, of purposefully not marketing it very well, or they market it in a confusing way. So people think they're going in, into the free file option on the website when really they're not. And then they don't find out until they're like halfway through their taxes or they're panicking because tax day is coming. It's a mess. So this is something we need to keep an eye, eye on. And there is uh, another way to look at this. Like, if, if we're going to have taxes the way we currently do, which is say it's like a it's a voluntary return system where, like, yes, a government the government gets uh, a copy of your W two or uh, your ten ninety nine if you're freelancing, and then um, and then you yourself have to prepare your own tax return where then you send it to the government. But in a lot of countries, a lot of Western democracies or industrial democracies, they don't have this system where like you as individual have to prepare your own tax return and estimate your own tax bill. The government just tells you what you owe in your taxes. And this is sometimes referred to as a return free tax process. And and so the pro of it is that, again, for the vast majority of people, who work a single W-2 job and are taking a standard deduction or have relatively uncomplicated taxes, for the government to just mail you your tax bill and say, based on the information we have available about you, this is what you owe in your taxes. Then you would just check off and say, yes, I agree. You'd sign it and then you include your check or you pay online. And then that's your tax process. And in, in some countries, you do it over text message. That's not even a joke. But here, because it's America and we have to do everything backwards and more violently in a way that screws over poor people, we have this system where like the onus is on you to put together your tax return and yada, yada, yada. Um, 
And meanwhile, we've been since 2010, which includes the Obama administration, we have been gutting the IRS and especially we've been gutting their workforce and their workforce for audits. And so a lot of the audits have been directed towards poor people who uh, maybe mistakenly or possibly wrongly took advantage of things like the earned income tax credit. And so we're going after poor people with audits instead of going after the rich people with audits. And the rich people are the ones who have the money, and they're the ones who are dodging the most taxes, but they're also the ones who have the money for lawyers. So instead, the IRS is going after what they see as the lower-hanging fruit, which is to say poor and working people. And it's completely the opposite of how it should be. So those are some of the ways that we are collecting taxes in a very messed up way. And... uh this legislation, the Taxpayer First Act, is supposed to modernize the uh, tax system, but it's guaranteed to fail. And by the way, this article I'm looking at now, Fixing the IRS Means Spending Money to Save Money, it's coming from that radical hotbed of leftist propaganda, Bloomberg.com. So take that as you will. The IRS's shrinking workforce since 2010, they've gone from 94.7 thousand employees down to 76.8 thousand employees. A failing IRS is a bigger problem than you might suppose. Americans feel obligated to pay their taxes, but lax enforcement starts to erode that sense of obligation of cheating is seen to work. This calls the legitimacy of public finance into doubt. Adding to the IRS budget is fiscally smart as well, since every additional dollar spent on the agency generates at least $4 in revenue. For lack of resources, an estimated $400 billion is owed, but unpaid. So there is IRS infrastructure that needs to be invested in. There's the like public side of the IRS that needs to be invested in, in terms of a simple free uh, system for filing your taxes and making that process less onerous for working people. And so uh, we got a lot of work to do on that and we need to pay for a green new deal. And that's why this matters and look, when right-wingers or, or corporate centrists say, well, how are you going to pay for a Green New Deal? We know that they're making an argument in that bad faith because those people have no problem finding the money to pay for jail cells and drones and F-35 joint strike fighters and all kinds of things, right? But aside from that bad faith argument, if we want robust public services, we do need to pay for them. And so we should make the process of paying for them as easy as possible for working folks and as, as transparent way as possible so that folks feel that it's a fair process and that everyone is paying their fair share. All right, I'm going to take a look at the comments. Wow, it's after 8.30 already. I've been really on a tear here. Uh, Tracy is coming in with some hearts. Thank you for that. Thank you for sharing, Tracy. She says this should be shared with everywhere. I appreciate that sentiment. Uh, Jean says tax churches. Yeah. The, the whole tax-exempt nonprofit industrial complex is also a topic worthy of investigation here on A Green Way Forward. The way the whole history of charitable exemptions in this country is uh, pretty shady. Uh, I'm not going to come out right here and say that churches should be taxed. Uh, that's an open question for me. I really appreciate people writing in with that. And please do continue to write in with your questions and comments. And that can fuel our further exploration of these issues on a green way forward. Um, but yes, thank you for that. 
Gene also says it's fascism to require taxpayers to use private tax preparers. That is a a bold uh, assessment and one that I do not think is wrong. And Michael says that he uses H&R Block because the 100-ish dollars he spends is usually more than pays for itself with the extra money you get back. I'm glad that the software is helpful to you, Michael. But but what I'm saying is that since this is something we all have to do, that software or software very much like it should just be available to you, free from the government. It should be a public good and that we shouldn't have to rely on H&R Block for that, uh, for that software. Katie says, thank you. Thank you for that. And uh, Randy Hicks says, we need a guaranteed income. I want to direct people to the podcast Economic Update by Richard Wolf. He dedicated a recent episode to the uh, universal basic income concept. And I thought, look, Rick is amazing, right? Rick Wolf, he's on YouTube. He's on, he's all over the place. If you're not familiar with Rick Wolf, definitely start listening to the Economic Update podcast and definitely start looking for Rick Wolf's books and his lectures on YouTube, his website at Democracy at Work, and uh, anywhere else you can find Rick Wolf. You will not go wrong uh, taking in as much Rick Wolf as you can. But Professor Wolf uh, dedicated a recent episode to universal basic income and talked about how universal basic income by itself is not a silver bullet for fixing the contradictions and the problems created by capitalism. And so I want to encourage people to listen to that. And again, I'm hoping we can explore universal basic income or guaranteed income on a green way forward. And maybe we can even get uh, Rick Wolf to come on as a guest to talk about that. Well, I'm going to wrap this up. I want to thank everyone. Maria writes in to say happy tax day. And uh, again, a happy tax day to you. It's, of course, the happiest day for the oligarchs and the military industrial complex that uh, take our tax dollars and put them into war, death and empire. But we've got to keep fighting. Uh, I look forward to seeing you next week here on A Green Way Forward again, where we talk about peace, social justice grassroots democracy, and eco-socialism, all from a Green Party perspective. My name is Michael O'Neill. You can find me on Twitter at Michael E. O'Neill. That's O-N-E-I-L. And you can find us, of course, at agreenwayforward.org, where there is a podcast archive of our previous episodes. There's also an e-newsletter that I encourage you to please sign up for and to share. And uh, let's keep fighting for a Green New Deal and a fair and equitable way of financing that. And I encourage you all to keep on keeping on. Peace. A Green Way Forward is broadcast live on Mondays at 8 p.m. Eastern Time from Dr. Jill Stein's Facebook page. Subscribe to our podcast and e-newsletter at agreenwayforward.org to make sure that you never miss an episode. You can also find us and rate us on iTunes, with more podcast platforms being added each week. Our theme music is Retro Future Dirty by Kevin McLeod, whose fine music can be found at incomptech.com and is available for use under a Creative Commons attribution license. 
This is Michael O'Neill for David Cobb reminding you to please spread the word about A Green Way Forward and to send us your thoughtful questions and comments to agreenwayforward at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.